This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Flanagan. Um, what can I say? Welcome again to Better Reading. It's an absolute pleasure to talk to you again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think, well, I can't remember when we spoke, but we, it was during COVID and we thought that that was the next time we would speak would be in person, but that never happened, did it? No, no, it didn't. But I'm holding out hope that maybe in the next, in the next year or so. Uh, we'll Hopefully. Be Hopefully. Let me introduce you. Sheila is the best-selling Irish author of 30 books, including Three Weddings and a Proposal, The Women Who Ran Away, and Her Husband's Mistake. She has sold over 8 million copies of her books. After beginning her career in finance, she wrote her first novel, Dreaming of a Stranger, when she was in her 30s. She hasn't looked back since. So today we're talking about her latest novel, What Eden Did Next. Uh, It's a heartbreaking and life-affirming read about a woman who is ready for a new start five years after her husband died. Wow. Um, So my mother died recently. So um, it is a book that really certainly resonated with me. Yeah. I'm I'm really sorry for your loss. I think grief is one of those things that sometimes we don't talk about enough. Mm -hmm. And and it's something that I I definitely wanted to explore in in this novel. Mm. Talk to me about where the idea came from. Well, interestingly, I, I guess, I, I mean, my ideas come from various sources and, and various different parts of the ideas come from different sources. But the, the concept of, of Eden and, and the way she's, she's looking at her life was actually influenced a little bit by COVID and by the, the lockdowns and by the restrictions that had happened. Because, um, you know, I was looking at things popping up in my diary, you know, things that I should have been doing and things that I should have been doing with people that I couldn't meet and that I couldn't see. And I grieved for all those things, you know, I, I, and I've really profoundly felt um, felt sad and and depressed about those things. And I was thinking about that in the context of losing people forever. You know, at least with COVID, I was thinking to myself, well, we will get through this. Eventually we'll get through this. But, you know, I was looking at it from the, the, the situation of somebody who has lost someone. And of course, like, like you, um, sadly, I've lost people in my life too. And mm-hmm. so I think COVID and those restrictions just connected me with that feeling. And so I thought about this this character Eden, who has lost somebody, and 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 the way she's she's has lost you know the love of her life and the person who the person and the person whose family have really supported her because she's for various different reasons she doesn't have close family of her own, and you know I, I was thinking about the situation she was finding herself in. She's re- raising her daughter on her own. She can't. She knows her husband is gone but she can't quite let him go. 
and she he's still a presence in her life. She writes to him, you know, she shares stories with him and things like that. And I think we do that. You know, people are gone. We don't necessarily immediately stop. We never stop thinking about them, you know. But uh, so I was putting her in this place. But it's five years. The novel starts five years after um, the death of her husband. And she is beginning to feel that, you know, ready to move on although she's not quite accepting that she's ready to move on. And she thinks she's quite well and she feels well in many ways. But his family, who who really loved him very dearly as well, are acting as a break on her in, in some respects. Mm-hmm. And then she meets an old childhood friend and the old childhood friend coupled with an elderly patient of hers because she works as a carer, but coupled with that person, start to make her look at life in a different way and start to make her, you know, sort of analyze how she's feeling and, and, and probably try to find more joy in her life because up to now, although she's relatively happy, she's kind of existing. Mm. And, and now what she's doing is, is looking for the joy in her life again. Mm. Do you know, um, of course it resonated with me, um, but also too, it made me think about, it's such a taboo subject like every one of us has have experienced loss and if you haven't yet you will you know one of the things my mother used to say is life gets sadder as you get older and I always wondered what she meant by that but that was losing her friends over the years or experiencing loss but we tend not to talk about it and we don't see it all that much in fiction in a way that an author is living or a character is living their life. We see it in crime fiction, of course, but we don't see it where it has real meaning and the process of it. And I guess it's like, you know, if you buy a red car and then all of a sudden you notice all these red cars on the street, well, what's happening with me now? I'm in the midst of grief and I'm seeing it around me. You know, I'm I'm picking up books like yours. I'm picking up other books. and And all of them are written with such hope, I think, that I kind of need to hear that at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, somebody actually, when we were talking in a general sense about my book said, oh, do you always have to have a happy ending in your books? And uh, I I said, well, it's not so much that the ending has to be a happy ending in a very traditional boy meets girl and marries them and they live happily ever after. But I do like my books to be hopeful and I like them to be uplifting because, as you said yourself, you know, life does get sad, you know, there are, and at the moment, life is just really hard. There are so many things that we're having to deal with. And um, I think it's good to, to, to know that there is hope and good to feel a certain level of hope and be uplifted by a book. And well, I'm hoping that this is what, um, what Eden does next actually does. Oh, definitely. And also too, for me, reading has been a solace. Uh, So to pick up a reading where I'm feeling that at the moment is very meaningful. So I want to talk about your career because it's so extensive. I feel as though, I mean, you know, lots of authors go up and down with their writing and sometimes you'll have a book that isn't successful as the previous or the next one or whatever, but you've been kind of consistent. I hope so. (laughs) I'd like to think that. Yeah, you have, haven't you? What do you think the secret to that is? Um, well, I think that when, you know, when I sit down to write a book, I do have a very definite, I don't have a plan, you know, because I'm one, not a plot, you know, I'm, I'm not a plotter. I, I kind of go by the seat of my pants and I, I work my way through it. But I do have the character very clearly in my mind and I care very much about the character I'm mm. writing about. Mm. And so I feel that I am writing her story. 
And I want to do justice to that, you know. Mm. And so when I, every time I write, sit down and write, uh, I, I'm, you know, saying to myself, well, am I telling this person as though they were a real person? Because they are to me, of course. Mm. And um, so I'm trying to tell their story the best way I possibly can. And I'm hope I, maybe that's it. You know, it's just that that I care so much about about the characters that I want the book to to really be good. I'm sure there are some that are better than others because that's the way things go. But um, I'd like to think that they were generally consistent. But you've had good sales numbers, haven't you, for almost every one? Oh, I have. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, yeah. all of the books have been have been bestsellers. But, you know, I like I, I have readers who who just say, oh, I'd buy your book and I don't even, you know, I don't even yes. look at the title. I don't look at anything. I just see your name and there's a new book and I buy it. And, you know, that is just I mean, it's really, really um, gratifying, but it's a privilege that people will do that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, especially for those those people, you, you want to try and make sure that you're doing a good job. And um, so far, so good. And so far that, yeah, the sales have all been really good. And, you know, thank you. <laughs> thank you to the readers who, who just rush out and buy the books. Now, I mean, I'm I'm not a writer, as you know, and but. And I'm going to describe this and, and hopefully you'll understand what I'm saying. What I like about your books is that when I'm reading your book, it's like that there's space, that the books aren't crammed, the story's not crammed. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. That's what I get from reading them. And so I have time to breathe. I have time to ponder. I'm following the story. It's not like that there's so much in it that I don't know what that character's up to and what, what happened to the other one. Is there a term in writing for that? Because I don't know what that is. But do, uh, well, do you uh, agree <laughs> with that? <laughs> well, I actually completely understand what you're saying. I don't yeah. know the term for yeah. that. But, you know, I, I kind of um, look at writing books a little bit like, I'm going to say peeling an onion, but that's probably not a great metaphor because, you know, onions are notoriously difficult. But just peeling away layers. You know, and you pull one layer back and then yes. you see something else and you pull another layer. But you do need time. I, I, When I'm reading myself, I like to be able to engage with the characters in the books that I'm reading and I like to be able to follow them and I don't want to be assailed by loads of things. You know, you like to kind of have the story evolve and yes. do it in a, in a natural way as possible. But yeah, of course I you, like that. The you want to keep the reader, yeah, you want to keep yeah. the reader engaged at the same time, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So what Eden did next, was that all written during COVID? It, it was started during our bleakest lockdown, which was yes. in the winter of last year. And I suppose, like I said, that was when I was really going through, you know, that level of grief myself for mm. things we couldn't mm. do. And um, so the, a lot of it, uh, probably about two thirds of it or, or half of it was was written during that lockdown period. And then we started to come out of that and, and restrictions started to be eased. And maybe that's when I was getting to the happier part of the story. Or that's what, what I was going to ask. So did you look back at those words that you've written during that time that, oh, hang on a second, I better brighten things up because <laughs> now I'm feeling better myself. <laughs> Yeah. Um, funnily enough, my my editor always says that, you know, when yeah. I start book and because I'm, you know, whatever book I'm writing, you know, there is obviously some kind of core problem. And, yeah. you know, in the, the first draft of it, it's always bleaker. <laughs> it's always much heavier. Um, but yeah, because, you know, because of my book. But I was sorry, I was was aware that that, you know, I was dealing with grief and I was dealing yeah. with this kind of situation. And, you know, my books as we, we said, are, are hopeful. And I, I, you know, there has to be dark and light in the book. You can't, it can't just spend your whole time, you know, pondering 
hard things. And so there has to be light. And I think probably when I was going back and editing it, um, I sort of increased the light and I increased the hopefulness of it. And uh, But you have to write the, the harder bits and the darker bits and get into the you know, the kernel of that and the difficulty of that um, first. And then you can come back and say, okay, hold on, hold mm. on. And, and also making it authentic and making it believable, you know, because some grief is a hard thing to describe. Well, it is. And, you know, I think that the, the most difficult part of it is that it can come upon you so unexpectedly. You know, you can be doing something quite cheerful and then suddenly you're assailed by this memory of somebody and, and it's like a a real hit to the stomach, you know, I mean, and it just overwhelms you. And um, the the one thing I find interesting, because I, because I have lost people in, in my life as well, I, I mean, lost my dad when I was quite young. And, and I stood that, I mean, that was over 50 years ago. And I, I still recall him, you know, I, I well, was 40 years ago, sorry, but I, I recall him, you know, really well. And, and, you know, even after all that time, sometimes something will happen. I'll hear a sound. I'll, somebody will say something and I will be reminded of them. And I still feel exactly as I felt mm. back then. But it's something you you live with. I mean, it's not a constant thing that happens. But, you know, you, you shock yourself sometimes mm. by how much you, you suddenly feel. Mm. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, when you're when you're writing something like that, you want to give that authentic experience feeling to the to the character but of course you know that that happens but you get on with your day-to-day life as well and you have recovered you know there's you you still laugh you still smile you still enjoy yourself but there is always that layer within you that has experienced the grief you know what I think too I think it's such a deep sadness grief and you can wallow in it but also too what I have valued is the shared experience like the other night um, a friend of mine asked me to dinner and her mum died years ago and her and I cried and laughed and I thought Mm. isn't that that is a special moment in itself and that's hopeful because for me it's affirming knowing that other people have had the same experience or a similar experience, but at the same time that we can move on. Like I'm seeing her now 10 or 15 years later and that gives me hope. Yeah, absolutely. And you do move on and you do recover. Yeah. and It just becomes a part of your, I suppose, your life's experience and your yeah. and the tapestry of your of your life. But, yeah, I mean, I think it is important to, to talk about it. And I think um, as well sometimes we, yes, the people that are not experiencing the grief at the time, we, we want people to be better too quickly you know yeah. and I think that's the thing as well about about Eden it is five years so that is a long time you know and yet to a person who has lost somebody five years goes by in a, the blink of an eye mm-hmm. um and so there's that balance where you're saying oh my god like five years you know definitely you should be off having a great time and, and she is she's going to she goes out she yes. does think yeah but you know there's still another step you have to make sometimes Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Let's go back and tell me how you came to writing. I know that you told us in the last podcast and I remember, but so we might have some new listeners who would like to know how you yeah. came to writing. Well, I mean, I, I think, I, I, as I would have said to you before, I, I always wanted to write really. I was just a massive, massive reader when I was when I was young. And um, my mum was really, really encouraging. She would read to us all the time. And because we both share this memory of her reading to me and me saying to her, what happened next? You know, mm-hmm. when she'd finish some story and her getting really exasperated one day and saying, you tell me what happened next. <laughs> and uh, and I just kind of continued on with the story and she's sitting there looking at me, you know, and and she was very encouraging. And I, I, I started, I just wrote pieces and, and bits of novels and things like that. And then, you know, when I got to my mid thirties, um, I had, I'd been working in finance and a, and a, a colleague had asked me to, to write some technical stuff for them. I, I had to put time aside to do this. And it suddenly occurred to me that, you know, I was always saying one of the reasons I don't write is that I don't have time. And yet when they'd asked me to do this, I found the time and I kind of said to myself, well, okay, let's see what we can do. And so for, for, um, for writing that thing for him, I got, he paid me and, uh, I got, and I had enough money to buy a laptop. And so I bought a laptop and I said, you know, I'm going to write, I'm going to write a book. And so, uh, all of the ideas that I had, they all came to me and I, it was very hard to actually kind of corral them into the first book. But I sat down and I wrote the first book, which was, which ultimately became Dreaming of a Stranger. Although what I wrote was a kind of prequel to that um, with the characters at a younger age. And uh, I sent it off to a publisher and they uh, called me back and said, well, you know, these characters are too young. I'm kind of thinking that now they would have called back and said, this is a young adult novel and we don't yes. maybe do young adult. But they said the characters are young. If you wrote them at an older age, we might be interested. So I kind of thought, well, do you think that you could do that? They said, and I said, oh yeah, of course. I <laughs> of, course I of course I could do that. And then I sat down and panicked for, for, for a day or two. And then I said, well, okay. You know, and I got back and I thought about the characters again. I thought, you know, when I'd written them, they were about 17 or 18. And I thought, well, you know, what would have happened to them? Yeah. And uh, I sat down and I started, I started to write that book that, that became Dreaming yeah, of a Stranger. Because, you know, back then there wasn't that genre of young adult, was it? No, there wasn't. There wasn't. No. And yeah. I, I mean, I don't know if there had been, would my career have been completely different? Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. But, um, Speaking of whether your career had been completely different, only just earlier today I, I met some friends for a coffee and we were talking about where we're at, you know, and how some careers are really linear that, you know, you go to university, you study to be a teacher and you become a teacher and whatever. And I'm thinking, well, mine didn't happen that way at all. And yours, I mean, I guess you thought you were going to be in finance forever. Well, the funny thing about finance for me was that it was when I was looking at careers, finance was probably at the bottom of my list of careers. Right. I, I am not a numbers person. You know? <laughs> and um, it is a mystery to me how I managed to um, to be offered. Actually, I, I in, you know, at the start of, of when I was looking for jobs, I was offered two different jobs in financial settings. And I I have no idea how. 
I really have no idea how, because I applied for a job in the library as well and I didn't get it. So oh, wow. it's like extraordinary to me that I ended up in finance. And yeah, I mean, for the time that I was there and um, because I was 20 odd years working in finance for the time that I was there, you know, I was very, I suppose, concentrated on my career and I wanted to yeah. do well in, in the career. And so I did my, you know, the professional exams you were meant to do and I did all that stuff. But I think finance was something that I did, but I didn't, I was doing it for somebody else or, for, you know, I was doing it for yes. the company. I was doing it for a whole range of things, but I wasn't doing it for me or for my soul. You know, I, yeah. it was just something that was paying the bills and I enjoyed it while I was doing it. You know, I did enjoy yeah. it, but I mean, I think it was something that you, you know, we used to say sometimes that the job we did was no job for an old person, you know, <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I did sometimes think to myself, God, you know, am I going to be doing this, uh, you know, forever? And I guess, you know, when I started to, to, to write, when I sent off my first book to be published, it wasn't that I thought I was going to be the writer that I am now, but it was just, I was doing something for myself. And that was yeah. really, really satisfying. Yeah. And, and the fact that it has turned into a career for me, I, I just feel really privileged and lucky. I was kind of looking at my future career and thinking, okay, which way is it going to go and where am I going to be and all that. And, and I'm so lucky that it's ended up being, I'd just say probably about 180 degrees from what I was doing. Yeah, because you're, you're lucky in many ways that, you know, after 20 years to pivot your career is not easy, regardless of where you chose to go and where you mm. came from. I mean, that's always tough, right? And also because we do get pigeonholed. Oh, absolutely. You take, yeah, yeah. You take a CV out there and it's all finance. Well, they're the only jobs you're going to get. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I kind of think now perhaps things, especially in this post-COVID world, um, people are are looking at their their lives and their choices and everything in a different way. I don't know how long that will last for, you know, because we tend to get sucked back into a kind of a, a way of living. But I think people are more appreciative, certainly of different choices. And um, in certainly in, in Ireland, um, the whole hybrid working from home, working from an office mm-hmm. thing, which like five years ago when you were people were trying to do that and then companies mm-hmm. were saying, oh, no, absolutely not. And now we've realized that that is a viable alternative. I think people are have got a different a different take, I suppose, on the work life balance and what they want. And I think it is really important to 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 sit back and ask yourself what matters to me, you know, and what is the thing that you that I'm doing for my heart as opposed to my head. Mm-hmm. I mean, I always think I've hit the jackpot with my career. I mean, always. I just think. I mean, you know, I get paid to talk to you. <laughs> it's like I drive all this that's right you know yeah. they call this work what how did I get here um yeah it's funny you I mean you know podcast didn't even exist back when I was thinking about a career I know it's amazing isn't it and and, yeah. and that's that's what's so great I guess about things that that the world changes and life changes and there are new opportunities I think what's really important is to be able to take those opportunities even when it's nervy you know yeah and in my case when I decided that you know I would have a go at making this a full-time thing I mean it was a leap of faith I hadn't made any real money out of writing but no. I felt I had to I had to give this a go and commit more time to it because I'd been working and writing and, and it, you know it wasn't sustainable in the mm. in the long term and I said well you know you have to back yourself sometimes and I felt well, this is something I really want to do. If it doesn't work out, 
I will probably be too old <laughs> for finance because it's a very young person's game. But I, I said, well, I'll get something else. I will do something else. But I need to do this for me. Mm-hmm. And I think it is really important that when opportunities are there to do something that really matter to you, that that you back yourself and, mm-hmm. and take. At what book number did you go full time with Friday? Um, it was actually after book number four. The first three books um, were, were published by um, a small, a very small Irish publisher, and they weren't published anywhere. They didn't get a huge, they did well here in Ireland, but they, they didn't did. get a huge reception. And it was, well, when I was starting to write book number four, um, I, I just, after the three books, I said, well, if I want to make anything out of this, I will have to devote more time to it and I will have to be serious about it um, as, as a writer because finance is very, very demanding. And, you know, there may be other jobs where you can you can divide your time better, but but I couldn't in the job that I was doing. Mm-hmm. So that was the point where I said, OK, I'm just going to go for this now. And I, I think it's, it does sound like, you know, I was sitting there writing three books and, and um, you know, not thinking about the future. But when I had written the first book, although the publisher had said to me, we might be interested, it was about another two years before it actually got published. So while I was waiting for that, I actually wrote the second book mm. because I thought, well, you know, I've done it once. I'll, I'll give it another try. And and I'd already started writing the third book. Mm-hmm. So I I was, I had finished the second book before the first book was ever published. So it was oh, kind wow. of a book ahead, you know. Which must be a great feeling because I speak to authors who, you know, sign two or three book deals and they've delivered the first and now they're so anxious about the second. So if you're one step ahead, that that takes the anxiety out. Right? Actually, it does. It really does. I mean, I know, I didn't tell anybody that I was writing a book when I was writing. Right. When I was Why? Writing, I, because I felt that that would put a lot of pressure on myself. Mm. And, uh, you know, writing the book for me was such a personal thing. And um, I, I, I wasn't writing it uh, like I was writing it and hoping it was get, would get published, but I wasn't writing it for the money. You know, I was writing it to write a book and to say, yes, this is something you have wanted to do since you were about five years old and you have actually done it. And that was why I was doing it. And so I didn't really want people saying, how's the book coming along and things like that. You know, I just thought I'd do it at my own pace and do it, you know, just n- not have anybody ask me. And so I had written two books and nobody knew until the first book was actually yeah. published. A lot of authors say to me, and I quite like this, they say that life is never the same again um, after you published as it was when you wrote your first book because before then you were just writing for the sake of writing. You didn't know whether, whereas now you've got an audience, you've got a readership, you've got a publisher, you've got an editor. Is that how you felt? Um, Well, certainly it shifts, you know, when you're writing without any hope of publication or not hope, but any expectation, immediate expectation Mm. of publication. And you you don't, you're not sending the work off to an editor or something like that. You're just going for it yourself. And there's a, a, a definite freedom in that that mm-hmm. afterwards, you know, when you realize, oh, this is what happens, you know, and you realize the whole chain of events that, that happen, and you realize you're part of that, you know, and, and there are people who are waiting for you to do certain things before they can swing into action themselves. And so, yeah, you say to yourself, well, this is, be- is this becoming a job? And there are certainly times, you know, that you think to yourself, oh, you know, this, this is a job you know, I've, suddenly this is another job, you know, mm-hmm. and I think you want to th- think to yourself always that 
writing is just a creative joy. And there are parts of it. I mean, I look at it in two ways. I, I think there's the creating of the book and the writing of the book. And then there's stuff afterwards when you've sent it to an editor and there are things that happen and that's a business thing. So I look at it as two different parts, you know. Do you, um, with COVID, you know, we've had to do everything by Zoom or online. Have you missed the connection with the reader? Because I know you have enjoyed touring and you've enjoyed publicity in the past. Do you think that that has impacted your work, not seeing readers as you used to, not getting that kind of direct feedback? I don't think it's impacted my work as a you know, as a writer, yeah. I don't think in any in any of the forms of of creatively it hasn't. Although not being able to go out was was yes. very difficult creatively, and mm. it's interesting because you know a lot of people would say during COVID, oh well, you're a writer, you're at home anyway, and now you must be delighted because you're at your desk mm. and nobody can bother you. And and you're thinking, yeah, that's okay for a day or two, but actually, I like going mm. when I'm writing. I would take time and go for a walk and I'll sit in a cafe and I'll watch people and I'll, mm. you know, I'll, I'll get Observe the interactions. And, yeah, exactly. And you, I mean, all we were doing was scurrying past people, yeah, you know, you, if you were out at all. So that I actually found quite difficult. Um, but in, in terms of, of meeting readers, I did miss the events that we do because mm. it is lovely talking to readers. It's it's just lovely getting that connection, talking about your books to people who enjoy reading and just mm. talking about books generally to people who enjoy reading because I think everybody in the reading and writing community likes nothing better than to talk about books mm. and writing and stuff. So I did miss that. On the flip side, though, we, we managed to do quite a few um, Zoom events and things like that. And people, readers who couldn't come to physical events were able to come to those. Um, and so that actually was was quite good. And I, yes. I hope we're able to kind of keep um, yeah. maybe, a, again, a hybrid blend of doing live events and doing online events. But I, I certainly missed you know, when the book was published, going to a bookshop, meeting the booksellers, meeting the people in the bookstore and the readers who would come up and, mm. and chat and you'd be signing books to them. And, we, we, you know, you'd always have a lovely conversation with people. Mm. And I did miss that. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I think I would miss that too. Um, we started live events. I think you did one for us one Wednesday night and we will continue yes. those. We will definitely yeah. continue those right throughout because also a lot of people that have joined those events, probably they were in regional or remote areas. I mean, Australia is a big place and they very often couldn't get to an event. So you're right, we need to do a hybrid. We need to do a bit of both. I don't know about you. Um, I love reading readers' comments because I think readers have empathy and they you know, it's not all the time, but around 95% of the time, you are having a pleasant interaction, aren't you? Oh, mostly, yes. yes. Most of the time, you absolutely. you absolutely are, yeah. yeah. And what I love is when readers talk to you about characters as though they yes. are real. You know, yes. Like I said at the very start, they are real yeah. to me. And yeah. um, I love that readers think, yes. oh, yes, and they'll talk about their favourite character and they'll yeah. talk about things that people have characters have done and they say oh god I knew that was a mistake you know yeah, yeah. and sometimes you think they know the book more than the author knows the book oh gosh sometimes I think they do because yeah. uh, a lot of times they've read them back you know and yeah. they've read them a number of times and you're going oh my god yeah, yeah. But, I, but you know what I find really really interesting and that's that people readers will find things in the book that were not the most important thing to you but it's the most important yes. thing to them Yes. And it's like, you know, that's a revelation to you. Just, you said, oh, my God, I, yeah. yes, that is true. And I did write that, but I didn't realise it was having a particular impact 
on you yeah. and the, you know that it would yeah. have particular impact and that's fantastic I mean I, I I love that but I'm always really surprised by it you know somebody will pick a really what to me would have been a minor conversation or a minor incident and they will say oh that really resonated with me mm. and that's fantastic because that is when you read it like it's the movie yeah. that it's where you are as a reader in that place and you know I mean I've done this before too you read a book one year and then you read it the next year and it really sometimes even can have a different meaning entirely oh absolutely and that's why you know, reading yeah. some books it's, it's like going back to an old friend and then finding yes. something new out about them you know that they hadn't told you before it's yeah. it's yeah, I love there are books that I reread you know and it's it's just lovely to do that mm-hmm. all right Sheila we've got to let you go that was a wonderful chat oh it was super to talk to you again it really really was Yeah, thank you so much for your time. Not at all. And uh, thanks to everybody in Australia for all the support that they've given me because, um, you know, you you guys have. And it's it's just, as I said before, it's a real privilege. Thank you. You are much loved. Thank you. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, Join your local public library and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. 
quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.